91.3 FM WVUD and WVUD HD1 Newark in the great state of Delaware. I'm Bill Humphrey and thanks for listening. The following episode was recorded on January 9th, 2017 and produced by me at my studio in Newton, Massachusetts. This week, Jonathan joins me to discuss big picture progressive messaging and more state ballot initiative ideas. That's coming up in just a moment. Arsenal for Democracy is available for download on Wednesdays at arsenalfordemocracy.com and from iTunes. We air the show in Delaware on 91.3 FM and stream it from wvud.org on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Follow us on Twitter at AFD Radio or like us on Facebook. It's Arsenal for Democracy. I'm your host, Bill Humphrey. Joining me in studio again this week is Jonathan Cohn. Welcome back, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on, Bill. So last week, we were having a discussion about uh, various city and state ideas that people could be working on or can't work on because the Republicans have been thwarting, unfortunately. Um, And we talked a little bit about sort of ballot initiatives, things like that, uh, constitutional amendments in some states, if your state operates like that. Um, And I think, you know, even, even though the Republicans have put a lot of things into place that are challenging for getting progressive initiatives through or amendments um, that's not necessarily an automatic reason to not at least look into that as potential options Uh, as i've argued before i think that you know if if the requirement is like get a bunch of people together to go collect some signatures and get it on the ballot and then organize a campaign and knock on doors things like that in in obviously in the larger states that's very difficult sometimes but in some of the states that's like a potential option um, for you if you if you have let's say uh, a lot of enthusiastic volunteers and maybe not a lot of legislators on your side and maybe not even as, as much money as you would like. Obviously, that then becomes a, a another challenge down the line is the, like a lot of times the other side has a ton of money that they're going to spend on things. Um, my sort of inclination, you know, although in the past on this show I've talked about some like particularly sort of farther fetched ideas for for structural reforms, you know, like converting senates to proportional representation or things like that. You know, um there there are certainly some things that I think are are relatively small and doable uh that you can that you can make a bigger change down the line with. Um and so I wanted to talk about a few of those and then sort of branch out into sort of a bigger discussion about like how, how we pick and choose which sort of priorities to be focusing on. The the first thing that's sort of like a, a kind of a relatively small fix that's ideal for a ballot campaign, but is has bigger impacts is like the public broadly does not like the role of money in politics at this point. And certainly you can imagine that if you put something, you know, restricting the right to money, uh, you know, as a ballot amendment or something, uh, 
the other side is going to spend a lot of money on that, but that may not work necessarily. I mean, we just got through a campaign in Massachusetts where the other side spending a ton of money on ads and things like that, really slick ads with kind of confusing messages and things like that. It, it, it After a while, the, the sheer amount of money that they put in started, I think, backfiring yeah. on them, right? Um, and so, you know, the, the like proposal that I think, you know, it may depend on your specific state, but setting various limits uh, on the role of money in politics is something that you could probably get the public to back you up on at the ballot box. Um, it makes your democracy better. And then down the line, you may be able to get some other bigger things done uh, as a result of having changed the role of money in politics, both in the legislative campaigns, but also in, you know, the state ballot campaigns themselves. Yeah, cause the, and the, the history of that recently, wasn't it Montana where they passed some type of clean elect? It was South Dakota. Montana originally was one of the earliest states to pass a, a restriction on money yeah. in politics back in, I think it was the 1890s, yes. um, because someone had bought the entire legislature, essentially, and they were like, As no, you can't do that. So Yeah, and, and, and that, that kind of was a legacy of that in a lot of states that are f- pretty conservative on the national level and even, even on the state level, that there's still a strong aversion to the kind of the role of money in politics that makes it at least... There's a limit to how much you can necessarily get done in those states, but this is something that has proven successful. Yeah. Now, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, Recently, I had put out some proposals of saying, well, you can't necessarily cap the expenditures that a campaign makes, I don't think, but putting on various limits on like how much you can raise can indirectly cap the available spending, so to speak. Um, you know, or maybe there would be ways to enforce some sort of, I don't know constitutionally how you would do that, but enforce it so that, you know, you can maybe do one ad or maybe do one mail piece or two, some, you know, reasonable limits, things like that. And someone was saying, if there was a way to do that, they thought that that would just end up favoring the incumbents. Do you think that that's true that like any of these sort of get money out of politics efforts tend to favor incumbents? I'm not sure that I buy that. It's really it's really difficult to say because it would probably depend on case by case. I can I can see the logic there. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Just because the the an incumbent has name recognition, so if you are running against an incumbent, you will need to spend more than the incumbent to, to in order to make up for lost ground. But that doesn't necessarily have to take like form of like the big like pricey stuff. Like if you just knock on a lot of doors, you you, you can if you actually do make it an effort to like if you're running like a state rep race and you try to make a point of talking to every single person in the district, you, you could, you could probably still manage that by spending less, but you would probably need to like, if you really want to try to unseat an incumbent, you need to try at least, at least match their spending. I would presume. Probably. And I, the, yeah. The, the one question I would ha- like have in, in the cases with like capping expenditures is, are there additional regulations for outside money as well? Sure, because I think it would have to go hand in hand. Yeah, because that that's one of the problems. And if you just cap how much a candidate, him or herself, spends, all of that money is going to be coming in from all of the other like various right, country groups right. that are. I mean, we the same we candidate. saw that. Yeah, we saw that in the presidential races where they kept, especially in 2012, and then to some extent in 2016, they kept outsourcing various components yeah. of the campaign. Um, Although, like, that was kind of an interesting thing, too, in 2016 versus 2012, was that you you had these, you know, 
super PACs that were spending a ton of money and the campaigns were falling apart because they had outsourced everything, but then also didn't have complete control over what the orgs were doing. And there was a certain point where some of them started realizing, oh, you can't actually outsource everything. You also need to have staff that directly work for the candidate, you know, on, yeah. on their campaign. Um, but I mean, you know, and that's the thing too, that's, that's kind of grading is like, they spent tens of millions of dollars uh, for Jeb Bush through super PACs yeah. and it didn't do any good. And some people took that to say like, well, then who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, why do we care about having limits? But like, I'm sure that there were probably a ton of people that were so frustrated by seeing that many ads for a presidential yeah. candidate that they just didn't, they just tuned out and didn't participate in the process. And there, there's also some of the, the, the fact that no amount of money can make Jeb Bush interesting. Um, and sure. that's so that there are limits. And that's why using one isolated scenario to show about how it, it, to kind of try to debunk a whole concept of the role of money in politics doesn't work like you will always be able to find cases in which can the candidate that spend less won um you can even find like ballot initiatives where they said that like kind of with like i think that like the no on two campaign here was a great example of kind of the underdog winning but that doesn't so much just that doesn't disprove the the existing trend It it can show how if you're trying to beat that trend it can work and it can show weird dynamics that made that trend no longer no longer applicable because like for example with the republican with the republican primary this year the one thing that donald trump had that was was 100 percent name recognition and ridiculous amounts of free media right so no matter how much money anybody else was spending he's his amount of free media probably still out yeah, it did, and there's that. been various measurements on that. The thing that I always think about is how much money Barack Obama had to spend to buy a half hour of like infomercial time in 2008. They had the money available to do it, so yeah. they started doing things like that toward the end of the election. Um, but like, how many times Donald Trump got CNN or whoever to just run an uninterrupted feed of his rally, mm-hmm. which was very similar or to an empty podium. To a, yeah, so. That kind of thing, I think, is that that's its own kind of uh, issue within campaign finance. Um, yeah, I wonder, like, it's weird that they can do something like that and call it news. But if Donald Trump goes on SNL, they have to offer everyone else equal time on SNL. Yeah. Like, that's not those are well, we have. Yeah, yeah. Our, our, the whole the whole, the whole system. Yeah. Is but, very... um, you know, and you can't do there's there's limits to what you can do. Like you certainly can't really change federal rules at the state ballot box. But what would you like to see? We can take Massachusetts as an example or any other state that you yeah. can think of. How would you like to see the role of money changed if you could propose like uh, either a constitutional amendment yeah. or uh, just a ballot initiative law? But then that opens up the repeal process that we talked about last week. Yeah, that's... Um, so let's let's say it's an amendment, for example. Yeah. What kind of a, an amendment would you like to see, ideally, that is going to be both constitutional and have a meaningful effect on like yeah. the democracy? Because um, like I would be a fan of public of passing a public financing law for the state. Because I know that's or however that, that it's not going to pass in the, the state legislature, but like it's introduced repeatedly. 
I don't know. People seem to have an aversion to that, though, for many reasons. I mean, they're like, they seem to be there. I think their their thinking is like, well, I know that this is what campaign ads are like now, and they're horrible, and they make me hate politics. So why should my tax dollars be yeah. going to fund the, the, that? The one yeah. that like it's some people like to treat public financing as a panacea, and it's ultimately not. Um, I think that the value of of something like public financing is that insofar as it can help open up people who might have difficulty raising money to kind of make it easier for them to run campaigns. And that's one of the reasons why like you have less diversity than perhaps desired in, in candidates is because affluent connected white men tend to be the ones who are the most, have the easiest time raising the money for a campaign. So insofar as you can help kind of share the power so, or share, kind of share the wealth that's valuable, although it's not going to necessarily solve all of the problems that exist. Personally, the way the one thing that I think is the best way to reduce the role of big money in politics is to reduce big money. True, but that's not necessarily a, a one-time <laughs> ballot question. Yes, that, that, that's um, not something that's going to be solved on the ballot in one time. But that is something like that. The best way of, since no matter really what you do, those with more money will inevitably have a greater. Yeah, I mean, the reason that they're part of the reason that they're breaking the unions right now on the Republican side is because they don't want unions to be able to spend money in yeah. elections. And so, that's, yeah. And that actually raises one thing that's a really interesting point in terms of contrast that I was thinking of recently in that when Republicans take a state legislature, I, they have a very clear goal of defunding the other side, like defund, defunding the left or defunding the Democratic parties. Uh, anybody who would be giving money to them as well as restricting the electorate. Right. So if you're a Republican, that means you want to target, you want to target the unions, you want to target the universities because the college professors will donate. You want to target the trial lawyers because trial lawyers donate a lot of money. And you might just whine about the elites in Hollywood because like they donate to Democrats too, although there's not so much that you're going to do. Uh, but you, you'll, you'll just w- wage a cultural war on that front. And you will also restrict the electorate. You'll make uh, Republicans will make active attempts to reduce the number of people who can vote, both like by creating hurdles on election day, by by kind of removing anything, any any existing laws that make it easier to work. On the other hand, Democrats don't do do the equivalent of if Republicans want to restrict the electorate, Democrats should be doing things to expand the electorate with things like automatic registration, which granted has been done in a few states recently, or same day registration. It's like steps like that or just anything that you can do to expand the availability of uh, of voting as well as to defund the Republican Party's do- like is basically which would be steep ta- just to try to actually have more sharply progressive taxes and crack down and like things that are good like cracking down on fossil fuel companies. It's very difficult to do that when you share the donor base. That's um, the problem. Uh, what what else would you like to see though besides a public financing system? Uh, what what kind of a, a a limit or other provision would you? Like I would to have see? to in order to actually specify any type of like limit. I would actually on like a state level would need to be seeing how much people are spending to calculate what. But it, but it, you want it? You, you would be trying to cap it at or below like existing trends or something like that. I mean, I don't know. I just like to me it also I question whether or not. Um, they they raised the the donation limit uh, in Massachusetts, for example, from yeah. five hundred a year to a thousand a year. Um, I got like one or two donors, maybe I think, when I was yeah. running for office, that were able to get to that new limit. I wasn't really getting a lot of people who are even hitting five hundred. Like, and yeah. to me, it just seemed it was like why? Like this is I felt like it was going to be like that. That's a, a, a an individual donor limit thing. I I think those should be relatively low. 
and and you can say, well, on the one hand, maybe you'll have to talk to more people to get more money or something. But on the other hand, maybe you'll just stop spending so much time Pay doing the fundraising. Yeah. And because you're going to end up in it just, I mean, you're going to end up competing like instead of calling 20 people to get a certain amount, you're going to maybe still call 20 people, but for higher amounts because yeah. the other candidate is also calling people for higher amounts. So then the money escalates. I don't know. It just to me, it seems like a little silly. And I, I watch like local candidates now, you know, already surpassing previous elections because they can ask for a thousand each instead of 500 yeah. each. And I, that's, I don't know. To me, yeah. To anything that you can do to, I think, like make it sort of a, a middle class oriented, like donor base or the, something. The one better. thing valuable, and at least in terms of setting setting some type of cap, is the fact that it would be nice for candidates to not be spending their time in rooms filled with more affluent people talking, and those being the only concern that concerns that that are amplified. Yeah. This discussion. So, like, if you end up having an event where the tickets are two fifty, five hundred, and a thousand. Not everybody will be able to afford to attend that. I want to figure out ways that we can like just be spending less in general on these campaigns and and doing less time fundraising and stuff because it's not it's not productive. I mean, and uh, let alone for the challengers. I mean, if you're an incumbent, like you should be doing government stuff, yeah, and not be doing the fundraising. All well, right. one one thing I just note with that that actually I think needs this is not directly related on directly related, but it is tangential is the need for more longer term investment in the type kind of in organizing work because there's a way in which they, every time an election starts there's kind of almost an attempt to reinvent the wheel to wheel or in the fact that like if you want to make it so that people don't have to spend as much money in the future if you already have that basis on, on which to work where you've actually have organize, kind of organizations that do kind of long-term like year-round organizing work so that then when an election when an election comes up or can't like and say it's particular candidate comes up you can funnel some of that energy or you can channel some of that energy in that direction rather than starting from scratch all right so we started with a specific point which is basically campaign finance reform because i think that's something that helps you down the line but is also a manageable thing that you could put on the ballot and mm -hmm. hopefully defeat the interests of big money by directly appealing to people's yeah. public sentiments um but let's think about a little bit broader um how do we categorize these type of things because one of the concerns that you've raised on past episodes is that candidates tend to be trending toward well if they're they're either completely vague on what they stand for and we have no idea what they stand for they don't put it on their campaign site or anything like that yeah. or they have what you've termed the Pinterest page yes. of issues, which is just a huge discombobulated collection of, you know, 10, 15, 20, 100 different policies that they care about. And obviously, like, there's a number of challenges there. Uh, one, no matter what office you get elected to, whether it's mayor, state rep, president, anything, you're not going to probably be able to concentrate equally on all of those things. Yeah. Um, but also it's just really disorganized and doesn't seem to like fit thematically together. So let's take the example of campaign finance reform. What is a sort of broader principle or value, however you want to frame it, that that this slots into so that it's not just an arbitrary like, I would set a limit of $500 for donors. You know, like what? how do we explain this? Uh, not in a condescending way, but in a in a thematic way that makes sense of like what we're trying to accomplish with yeah. a campaign finance reform. How would you phrase that? Well, with something like that, I think that with that as well as what I noted before in terms of electoral forms, would it, would it easily fit in terms of an overall frame of let's say like strengthening democracy, or in terms of like 
kind of a good government and good representation uh, where you're, because those th- things I think do go hand in hand, both kind of restricting the, the role of the kind of the imbalanced power of wealth in democracy, as well as to try to increase the role of people in democracy, which to that you need to have a, you need to be able to bring more people into the system and have those hand in hand, have very much of like a pro-democratic engagement um, agenda. And I think like if you, it, let's say you called it government for all of us or something yeah. like that, you can then, what are some other points that you can slot under besides campaign finance reform? Probably vote same day or yeah. universal voter registration. And, um, and as, well, as well as other steps in terms of government transparency. Uh, in terms of various like data that government data that you can be like, kind of open data stuff that you could do to share the information that the government collect or make things actually available to the public as well as from like public records or like public records reforms to try to make those doc have that realm of government information more available to the people so that you are just kind of acknowledging the fact that the government should be serving the people. All right, so we'll take our theme of government for all of us. Right. And then let's keep zooming out from that. So what is uh, or or at the very least, what is on the same like equal yeah. level with that? What are some other sort of overarching categories? Because, you know, when I was running for my thing, I think I had like 10 different planks and I hadn't necessarily organized them that thematically, particularly. But, you know, there was a campaign finance reform yeah. angle. Uh, there was. um you know, uh, criminal justice reform, there was uh, civil rights issues, civil liberties issues, things like that. It was sort of a, it, it, yeah. I, I had organized it, I think, better than some candidates, certainly, but, yeah. it, but it was still, there was still a little bit of a jumbled aspect to it. There wasn't like a concise way of saying without rattling off 10 yeah. points. And that was even, that was a very specific kind of race. So like, I didn't, for example, talk that much about healthcare, yeah. um, which I could have because, you know, even judges are sometimes called to roll, you know, make decisions on health insurance policy applications, things yeah. like that, if there's a dispute there. Um, and the, 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 the thing that I was running for was related mostly, mostly to judges. So I was mostly talking about things that, that were clearer, like tended to be come up a lot more often for judges. Um, but, but what are some things besides a government for all of us, yeah. which you could throw a ton of things yeah. under that, but like, how do, how do we, how do we differentiate between say, like, you know, when we say government for all of us, we're talking about like campaign and voting reform yeah. versus like universal health care or something. Yeah. How, what, how, are, how are we differentiating sort of our tiers of messaging? So one thing I, at least is an example of like, so I'm on the issues committee with Progressive Massachusetts here. And one thing in terms of tiering and kind of organizing, organizing issues is that Progressive Mass has four categories of one, which is like the shared prosperity agenda, which is health care, it's housing, it's education, it's labor protections, it's wages. Um, I have that, all of that, that bundle stuff. And then like an all means all section for like racial and social justice, looking at criminal justice, policing, immigration reform, uh, LGBTQ rights, kind of civil rights, et cetera. Um, then a section on kind of good government and good citizenship, kind of addressing the issues of government for all type stuff you know, before. And then one on like, like sustainable infrastructure and environmental protection. See, that's the thing, though, is like there's so many things. Democrats end up rattling off so many things because they have so many different constituencies and key issues that they care about. And I I always wonder about that. Like, you know, to me, like environmental issues tend to be really important. There's something I emphasize Mm -hmm. a lot. And but I I don't tend to emphasize them in the way that a lot of environmental activists do, which I'm not saying as like a 
you know, distancing myself from them type of phrase, yeah. but just that I tend to think of them in in different ways than sometimes it has been framed in the past, yeah. right? So a lot of environmental groups in the past have certainly emphasized, let's say, polar bears, the rainforest, yes. and whales, right? I tend to emphasize, uh, you know, environmental justice and environmental racism issues, yeah. um, you know, putting refineries in populated areas and stuff like that, or whether or not communities, whether they're in Massachusetts on the Cape or in Bangladesh are going to be wiped away by, you know, rising sea levels, things like that. Yeah. I, I then tend to like put those with kind of some of those other issues. And I don't know, like that, you know, there's always going to be some element of overlap in some of yeah. these categories. Um, and that's how it should be, right? I mean, all these things yeah. do tend to overlap. But but how do we how do we make sort of clear differentiation so that so that people understand what we're talking about if we if we have like four or five yeah. sort of overarching categories? How are we going to make sure that people know that that is included under that um, yeah. without us having to necessarily say every single thing? Because that, you know, yeah. that ended up being an issue was that, you know, when I was when I wanted to talk about civil rights, what I was hoping that people would understand is that I mean racial justice rights, mm -hmm. I mean LGBTQ rights, um, and that even within that, there's, you know, there's, yeah, you know, gay, lesbian related issues, there's this. transgender issues, things like that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's disability rights. That's another category of civil yeah. rights, which is something that I would get calls about periodically. Reproductive rights. Is that a separate cat? You know, I, I yeah. separated that out because I wanted yeah. to emphasize that. So reproductive freedom was one of the 10 points as opposed to being under, but then yeah. I also had, you know, gender uh, and gender identity was under my civil rights category yeah. of talking about like violence against women and things like that or violence against trans yeah. women specifically um and and you know that that's the thing is how do you make these decisions about where to put these things and and know that people like you know you want to communicate to people like we haven't left you out we haven't left yeah. you behind um because if you say civil rights in this country a lot of people tend to think only of like the african-american civil rights yeah movement. you know i was also talking about like immigrant rights and things like that there were so yeah. many there was like 10 different sub points under that one of 10 points yeah yeah so i don't know do, do you have any thoughts on how like because i think you know as much as i think it's a repugnant and disingenuous argument when people say like oh you know democrats lost because they were too focused on trans rights or something like yeah. that i think that's a disgusting point of view that's not true yeah i also do like as having been a candidate i i i know that like it can be challenging to make sure when you're giving your little stump speech that yeah. you are acknowledging that you're acknowledging everyone well not and i mean box checking even sounds like a kind i know you didn't mean it this way yeah that can sound condescending yeah and that's like a talking point that people oh they're just trying to check off the boxes what i'm saying is like if i have two minutes to give a presentation at yeah something, like how do i convey to people efficiently like that i i i do care about all these groups and i haven't forgotten your group and your group is in that that yeah. category um, or your, your particular interest, if it's not a civil rights issue, you know, that it, that's in there. How do I both list off everyone that I'm trying to fight for yeah. while also not taking up the entire two minutes listing that off yeah. without being able to say what my actual position on any of it is? I don't know. Like that's, I, I found that really challenging, yeah. honestly, as a candidate, because, 
because I would get up there and I would be like, okay, well in this, in this audience, you know, I have, I have 15 seconds that I can use out of my two minutes to like talk about a particular civil rights angle. Is this going to be the group that I talk black lives matter to? Is this going to be the yeah. group that I talk undocumented rights? Is this going to be the group where I mentioned that I worked on same sex marriage in Delaware? You know, yeah. there, there's any number of these things. And, and, uh, you know, for all the condescension about box checking or whatever, it's like, well, okay, how do you, how do you present yeah. this in a way that that's clear to people thoughts on any of that? I don't know. That actually just reminds me of one point that I, that, uh, made before in terms of back with the Democratic primary here that I think one of Sanders' greatest strengths, and both candidates, one of their greatest strengths and their greatest weaknesses were the same. The fact that Sanders says pretty much the same thing wherever he go, went was one of his greatest strengths, and to some extent it was also one of his greatest weaknesses. The fact that she says different things wherever she goes was to some extent one of Clinton's, one of Clinton's strengths, and it was also one of her major weaknesses. And it's, kind of, <laughs> and it's an interesting way in which how, like, it, and that gets to the issue of that balancing act of uh, needing to have an ultimate core message that will stand wherever you go so that you can emphasize different things where, in different contexts where it's needed where people but people still knowing that they're being yeah. included and i i think you know i think it's exaggerated although based on a historical problem among some people the the uh the accusation that like there's a faction of the left that for example wants to flatten everything down to economics yes right and you know you you know if if you look at like what Marx and Engels had said originally, I think they have at one point a passage that says, by the way, there are a ton of other things like racism that are also very important. This analysis is specifically focused on economics because this is the new area that we're trying to present on, not because we're saying this is the only yes, thing like, and that these other things... And, that, like and I will agree that there have definitely been periods and factions and particularly vocal factions where yeah. they did try to flatten everything down. Um, and, and, you know, or they'll say like, oh, it's all about economics and, yeah. you know, but as I, as I tend to point out to people, you know, um, you can like, if you have a, if you have an African-American community in some town in, in the United yeah. States that is, that is having poor health outcomes, right? Partly that could be because, you know, they, uh, don't have access to health insurance that will provide the, you know, that will pay yeah. for their care. Um, it also could be because they have doctors that have been trained by medical school textbooks that say that African-Americans have higher tolerance for pain and things like that. That's stuff that yeah. gets printed in actual official books that is wildly racist and untrue. Very. And like there's no – I'm going to be blunt. There's no economic component to that second part, yeah. right? That They may be challenged by both of those things, but the second one is a racist yeah. factor – in their poor health outcomes that is not an economics or and and you can yeah i mean you could make like a really highfalutin analysis that says well the people who control the textbooks are the you know the instruments yeah. of capital and blah 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 and like money t you know but but the people the people who put that in did not put that in because they wanted to save money on like health treatments or something like that they put that in because they're racist and they don't or they don't know any better and, like and i would yeah. i would also say to some extent that one thing i don't like about some of the economically deterministic arguments when made is that they eliminate agency and people like if people hold horrible beliefs, like some people do hold horrible beliefs and it's because they hold hard like right <laughs> yeah you can that you can have people that hold horrible beliefs because they're horrible people not because the agents of capitalism are exploiting, exploiting this to like divide into the being yeah. so, into yeah. something that like it's how they were raised and they, I, and i would say they weren't raised very well <laughs> Yeah. Um, that 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 is that there are, there are cultural elements that are not reducible themselves to economics. Right. Right. Um, 
and that you do have that to some extent with the fact that you can have rich racists and you can have poor racists and you sure, and, and yeah. the same for those the same for anti-racists right so it's not the, like yeah a a racist billionaire is not particularly motivated by nobody is wedging him apart from his class solidarity with exactly. like you know he doesn't need class solidarity with a black billionaire like he's got yeah. everything's fine in his life exactly. so he can just be racist if he wants to be racist yeah, yeah. and that like the interpersonal stuff that like the interpersonal racism it's not necessarily just a reducible um economic factor and that is that is important to important to acknowledge that there are like there are plenty of intersections with economics, but it's sure, at the end yeah. of the day that like... There are other things. Yeah, it's a complicated picture. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go to a break in just a moment. But when we come back from the break, what we're going to discuss is we're going to keep moving up levels, right? So we've talked about some narrow specific points, and then we've talked about some like thematic angles. But then we're going to see if we can come up with something that's not just, you know, econ only or whatever, yeah. but something that's like a, a really, really big picture message that applies to as many people as possible. Obviously, some people are going to be left out of that. There are going to be some billionaires that are not happy with our yes. messaging here. Um, so when we come back in just a moment from ArsenalForDemocracy.com and WVUD, we'll be talking about that. So stick around. Democracy. You're still listening to Arsenal for Democracy. I'm your host, Bill Humphrey. Still in studio with me is Jonathan Cohn. So we've been talking this hour about how we move from specific policy points up to bigger themes, and then how do we come up with an overarching message, a very simple one or two line type mm -hmm. of thing that is like the thesis statement of a, of a we'll say, a left democratic party yeah. for practical purposes. Um, that groups these things together, but also doesn't flatten it down to just like, oh, it's all about class or something like that. Yeah. We want to come up with something that that you can you can present that message, that theme, that idea to as many different audiences as possible. You can then drill down into the, whatever the specific relevant themes and policy points are for that community, but that it all ties back to one sort of central thesis. So, and we're not we're not coming up with the central thesis. We're coming up with the singularity of yeah, campaign messaging. Right. We want we want to come up with with some different ideas of how how to present this. And so Jonathan earlier alluded to all means all, which uh, was something that was that is now used at Progressive mm -hmm. Mass, but had been used um, in Don Berwick's campaign for Massachusetts governor in uh, 2014. He was the former head of Medicare mm -hmm. um, and uh, is a physician. And he, you know, sort of, uh, I, if I remember correctly, I wasn't at that convention, but, yeah, but it, he, he made it out of the convention with enough delegates yeah, to get meant, on the ballot because yes. of his speech that was really well received. Right? As well, so as, well talk, yeah, as well, as well as the that. people were, I know a lot of people sure. were very moved by his speech and did flip because of his speech right. at that convention. Obviously people um, had done work to yeah, get it to that Yeah, obviously like point. I was right. a volunteer who had done some delegate canvassing beforehand, so we had right. done work, but it became, when there were people who still need to be persuaded, there were a lot of people, like, and I know examples of them who were persuaded by his speech there. All right, so, um, so talk a little bit about that sort of thematic vision that he was presenting yeah, in his campaign. Yeah, and so that's the one thing I think is actually useful about like the framing of all means all and it one thing that i thought of that recently derives was, from the pledge of allegiance exactly ultimately, so. and that's the one thing i, I was thinking of recently in terms of like the flaws with the whole like all lives matter thing because all lives matter like 
all historically in the U.S. has not actually meant everyone. Right. That when you talk about liberty and justice for all, there are many who are who have been excluded from that. So that hence in like the kind of discussions of like all lives matter, you're reaffirming a term. You're re- in that context. You're reaffirming. You're using the term that has often been used to exclude people, rather than like kind of a framing of like all means all. Is that like no? If we're going to have this term that gets bandied about everywhere in all of our like standard rhetoric, it actually has to mean what the word literally means so at the end of the pledge of allegiance it says liberty and justice for all and and his argument was no you can't just say oh yeah all you know yeah. and just throw that around and so he kept on emphasizing no all has to, to mean, mean actually <laughs> all which means and then he would typically list off yeah I think, and, the, like, and, that, and it connected particularly yeah. like one thing that I, I actually thought don did a very good job of since people there are people who pigeonhole him as being like only this like the single pair candidate but i always thought he did a very good job of talking about how healthcare did intersect with such a wide range of issues which is that's what Greg talks about when he's on the show a lot, right? Is mm-hmm. is this approach that's very popular in public health policy now yeah. of saying that that your healthcare as a service, so to speak, impacts your physical well-being, your emotional mm-hmm. well-being, your spiritual well-being and all these other categories and and it and all of it relates to other aspects of your life yeah. and whether or not you can function. So he would typically talk about I remember, you know, that that uh you know that if that if a child is going hungry you know mm-hmm. in some area whether it's the inner city or the suburbs and we have poverty and severe child yeah. poverty and hunger in both of those places that that you know that both those those kids wherever they are their health is going to be negatively impacted and that just having single payer wouldn't like solve all exactly. those problems so he was using that as kind of a a back and forth hub to yeah. talk about these other things yeah because he and that basically the foundation he had worked as a pediatrician and he worked with the um so did a nonprofit on, on public health issues. But in, in both of those, does see the impact of like the way poverty intersects the number of issues in terms of poverty and the, the need for better health care, the need for better investment in education there, the need for various steps, both in terms of and regulations, as well as the investments in jobs at education health care to combat gun violence, which is a major problem in some of the poorest areas of cities. And it's and you're not going to fix everything by just new gun laws. You need to, you need the new gun laws, but you also need to actually provide jobs and opp- opportunities for people, as well as like giving them the actual like government resources in the area that they deserve, so that you don't have wide gaps in education across the state, as well as addressing issues like environment environmental racism that like makes makes it seem as though like only some areas actually matter. I know that I think in his speech he stressed criminal criminal justice issues a big thing, which also do have like an intersection with from from like a health, a public health standpoint. Sure. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah. So I I found that compelling. You know, during his 2014 campaign, this idea that if you're gonna say liberty and justice for all, or even just justice for all, all, you you have to mean all. So all means all. And he would and he would talk very movingly about different examples of that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think like the emphasis there, instead of just saying like, you know, all lives matter or something like that is yeah. your, is your saying, no, when I say all, I am I'm actually, actually talking about all these different groups. Yeah. And um, it, it's yeah. something that's a nice kind of flourish for like an end of something that like, because if you do have like, 
people might not necessarily believe that they're included when politicians speak in that. And it's kind of a way of reaffirming that's like, no, when I'm, we're talking about this, we need to, to know that we have to work for every single person, no matter how disadvantaged they are. Now, one of the themes that, that I talked about in, in my campaign, I never really had like pinned down a specific slogan, I don't think. I mean, I, I think at some point, uh, like my website probably said on the like toolbar or whatever, it said like... Uh, a new generation for justice, mm-hmm. which kind of encapsulated a number of different, not really policy themes, but like what my deal was. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't really an overarching message particularly. And I had sometimes talked about justice for all um, in the same way that, that Berwick had mm-hmm. obviously, because I was coming from that jumping off point. Um, I have personally found justice to be an interesting concept. And I think I, I talked about this in my sort of launch speech, which is still on YouTube, where justice is like, it is this really double-edged concept where it, it both means, uh, pe- it means people getting what they deserve and people getting what they deserve. deserve. Yes. Right? You know, that that like, um, you know... Uh, if if people are if if people are humans, they deserve certain things just by existing, um, and that's justice. Uh, but also that if you like do terrible things in things our society, the there are going to be consequences mm-hmm. for that. Now, obviously, we don't want them to be overly punitive consequences. Yeah. Um, and, and and I found justice to be it's like it's a it's it's sort of like fairness, but with an even heightened aspect to it environmental justice probably includes a component of like helping people's communities get healthier safer Mm -hmm. environments but also bringing to justice so to speak the polluters who who did this in the first place um i don't know i just like that to me has been an interesting concept and one of the other reasons i mean i i joke about it a fair amount on on twitter usually very carefully so that people aren't necessarily instantly figuring out what the joke is but uh to go behind the curtain a little bit um many of the (laughs) muslim brotherhood parties across the middle east use the terms justice and development or justice and construction or some con like it's either development or justice or both of them together um and regardless of the ideologies of any of these muslim brotherhood affiliates or the akp or whatever in turkey uh, it is an interesting concept to talk about like both of those things, like justice and development. There's a reason they call all their parties that because they have latched onto a two word like thesis statement, yeah. which is we're going to establish a more just society along like, you know, 10 different axes or whatever. And we're going to develop our society, you know, which means human development. It means economic development. It means job development. It means, you know, developing a, a less corrupt government in your country. Things in, like in, that. In theory. In theory, theory. Right. Yeah. Like, like he's not really a good at like. Theory. No, 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 <laughs> certainly not. Um, but, but I think like that, that's a good example. Obviously I'm not yeah. going to be bringing justice and development to, <laughs> to the democratic party, but that's yeah. a good example of like a very, very concise and overarching thesis that captures so many different elements within it. And I, 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 that's the thing is I feel like I'm, I'm chasing that sense of like, can we get down to two words that aren't this, also justice and development? development. You that know? reminds me of, this is one of the many left of center problems parties in Italy that existed at one point in time before I think it merged. Many, many of those. Uh, where they had uh, Democracy is Freedom, the Daisy. Oh, yeah. I think I... Yeah, that sounds familiar. I remember the Daisy. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't adopt that That. That's, that a little too, that's a little too vague. It, it, it's also kind of crunch- a little bit too crunchy. Yeah, that's true, too. 
Um, well, in terms yeah. of, um, this isn't giving an exact term, but in states like Massachusetts or Pennsylvania, it immediately come to mind that you could probably find a way of playing off the, the, the fact that they are commonwealths. Yes, that is something that I definitely have thought a lot about. That was actually an original draft that was for my yeah. campaign um, when I was originally thinking about running and I hadn't decided yet. Uh, uh, I definitely had had something involving commonwealth. Uh, yeah. Not that, like, Virginia is going to be defining commonwealth in the same way that yeah. Massachusetts is or even Pennsylvania. Uh, certainly yeah. Kentucky, I think, is going its own route on yeah. the definition of commonwealth. You know, yeah, I, I think that that's definitely an interesting uh, thought there. But whatever we have has to apply and appeal to people, not just in Massachusetts, but in any state in the exactly. country, so right? And, and that's the other thing, too, is that when we're, when we're talking about, like, what audiences are we appealing to and, and finding something that will appeal, it's not just, like, uh, white audiences versus black audiences or straight audiences versus mm-hmm. gay audiences. It's also about um, where is this going to is this going to make the most sense in most of the country? I don't, honestly, I am not sure that you can get something that appeals in every single state. Um, you will certainly find people that it appeals to in those states, but you will never be able to come up with something just, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that like political cultures in different parts of the country are very different and always will be. But yeah, so I, you know, and this is not, as we said, we're not looking for the singular one answer here. Um, but, but we are trying to find something along the lines of all means all or justice and development, <laughs> you know, to not, not in the way they necessarily mean it in the Muslim brotherhood context, but just that these, these, these very easy concepts that you can fit all these thematic ideas under. Yeah. Um, and then, and then how, you know, how many thematic ideas do you have? Do you have four? Do you have 10? Like yeah. certainly, you know, and I think like that's been the interesting thing, you look around, whether it's the U.S. or other countries around the world, you will often see a party ride to power on the strength of a fairly clear and simple manifesto. Yeah. That's not always the case. Um, the Labor Party, I think, regrets having laser engraved a giant tablet uh, of the 15 or whatever promises they were going to bring uh, in the U.K. The of Miliband. Yeah, the Ed Stone of Ed Miliband. Um, but but I think that there there are plenty of examples like you know, even contract with America, obviously they had to do a lot of work to get to the point where they could win that next election. Mm-hmm. Um, but that probably helped to some degree. There were other factors at play there, but having a specific set of like, these are the things we're going to do. But even that is like, they were promising weird things like, you know, and I they're not weird necessarily, but like, I mean, oddly specific things like term limits in Congress or yeah. uh, that, people in Congress won't be able to raise their own pay, uh, yeah. you know, for their own term. Like, and it's like, okay, that's a thing you put in your manifesto. Like that's what's the, what's the overarching yeah. principle here. So, you know, there's a tension there where like sometimes the really specific stuff seems to work, but, but I think you want to have, you want to have set goals that you can point back to for election after election. That actually reminds me of one thing, that, if I remember correctly, that, look, in 2006, when the Democrats did manage to take back the House, that they actually did have, like, a few main things that they were running on in the election for, like, we have, like, these are our set point, like, have, like, a handful of key things that they were highlighting. Um, and that, and I think that that does work, rather than trying to have grab ba- a grab bag of policy that you you ha- you need to have a lot of more fleshed out like covering every single issue because you will have to address that. But if you are able to say like these are our priorities, this is what we promise you that we will do when we get elected. 
you can hold us to the to this. If we don't do it, bother us until we do. But like to actually have yeah, and that's the difficulty I think too is that the the reality. The blunt reality is that the Republicans have a very homogeneous base Basically, at this point. Yeah. And that's not just in who it is, but also ideologically. Yes. Um, there's so much more variety in the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many different constituencies that have been stitched together. Uh, I think a lot of us have been concerned in the way that that has been exploited within the Democratic yeah. Party in terms of like... N- sometimes pitting different groups against each other, but oftentimes just saying, well, if you don't go along with us on this, then you're selling out this other constituency, which may not be the actual case. And as you said, like at a certain point, they're going to end up narrowing down to like five things or something for the election. Um, But that's, you know, that's, I think, yeah, that's always going to be the tension there is, is whether or not you go super specific for an election cycle versus like your, your overarching principles. Um, but I think we have to come up with a way of saying that we're going to address all of our different constituencies that make up the Democratic Party um, without making it look like those are special treatment handouts for a specific yeah. you know, group, one or the other. Um, and again, I'm, I'm very cautious about even using that kind of language because that's not I'm not trying to make it sound like, you know, it's a question of checking yeah. boxes or that I think that that's why the Democrats lost the election. I, yeah. I certainly don't think that's the case. Most people within the Democratic Party, or at least the base, uh, you know, the the average voters who tend to vote Democratic, that those people are united by a lot more things than they are divided by it. And they may not even be aware of some of the things that unite mm-hmm. them. Uh, and I, But I also don't want to go in that direction, as we said earlier, of, of making the class-only analysis, because that's yeah. not the case that I'm making either. Um, you know, and some of it is some of it is difficult though because I think that there's also a individualistic versus altruistic perspective on all this, where it's like, well, are you giving things to different constituencies and interest groups, or do we all benefit when we raise up, you know, particular yeah. groups? That's the perspective that I have. Is that it, even if something doesn't directly isn't directly quote unquote targeted toward me. I'm going to be better off and our society is going to be better off because those other people got yeah. that. Not everyone in politics or even the democratic party views things that way. Uh, and that can yeah. be, that can be a challenge because, and, and that's, and that's not like a, that's not like a group by group thing. That's like yeah. individual people within a particular constituency are going to disagree on whether or not they have that sort of, uh, no, I want this for myself versus, uh, I want things that are going to lift up everyone in our society yeah. and our party. Bill, are you implying that we're stronger together? Let me tell you right now that stronger together is not the two-word answer we're looking for. <laughs> Which actually gets to an, a, a particular thing with the, the kind of the issue around slogans, is that you need something that can both speak, say a lot in that very in, kind of, in very few words, but then you. But you end up having, in many cases, if you just take a few words, it can be, be incredibly ambiguous yeah. and ill-defined, which is something that, like, stronger together really can mean anything. Right. And also, who was encompassed in that? Because as I alluded to earlier in the show very briefly, I'm not going to go into depth on this because we're almost out of time here, but just that, you know, the Democratic Party, no no political party can be all things to all people. people. Yeah. At a certain point, you are going to exclude certain people. My hope is that you're not excluding any marginalized and disempowered yeah. people. Um, but the idea that you're going to have a mass party 
that appeals to millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people and also billionaires is unlikely mm-hmm. because the common interests really are going to start to break down at that level of like, if you are already very powerful, whether it's political power or economic power or whatever, you don't have that much in common with the various other constituencies because you've already got what you want. Yeah. And you always will have what you want more or less. So yeah. yeah. In in terms of using the together that the Clinton liked, like one thing that would probably even make a point that she'd want to make a lot better is something like building a better future together, which is also kind of, it's, there's a lot and it's ambiguous, but at least it implies like what you're, what the people doing things together are actually doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and uh, it was interesting, like um, the 2012 one word slogan that they boiled down Obama's oh. to was forward. Yeah. Um, you know, they had, they had used various kind of things like hope change or longer yeah. phrases involving that in 2008. But in 2012, they said forward. Now forward is obviously ambiguous because it's, forward in what direction right but it works really well but for a re-election campaign it is yeah it is it is good um something that some people really didn't like even among sanders supporters from the sanders campaign that i actually did like was was it a future to believe in yeah future to believe, yeah yeah i liked that i liked it a lot we both liked it but there were a lot of people that didn't like that and i don't know what their particular beef was with that but like and maybe it's the vagueness. Yeah. Um, but it was, I felt like it kind of, it captured the it, spirit at least of like, we're, we're aspirational. we're, it's aspirational and we're trying to like all, well, like there's a we component to it, you yeah. know, uh, on yeah, some it, level. Um, and yeah, you, because yeah. it's because when you're saying it's like a future, like a future to believe in or whatever, um, that there's an implied that your audience is implied to be a collective of the, is yeah. a collective subject of the believing, which is actually, um, which I think is an important point in any, in any kind of distillation of it, where even like the language that you use can serve either to like make the audience a collective agent in that term, or it can exclude, kind of exclude them just by the virtue of the language itself. All right, very briefly, without going into detail, we talked at the beginning about campaign finance reform as a potential thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're pretty much out of time here, but uh, what are a few other things that in the that in the short term are kind of big picture things? They're not very very narrow and specific. That you know that you think people should be considering in terms of ballot campaigns besides campaign finance reform. What are whether they're good government or something else? What should people be trying to like potentially look at for organizing ballot campaigns? Well, at least in terms of in various states, this has already been done. But like one of some of the most successful ballot campaigns are always around the minimum wage, just because that's something that does re- resonate with a lot of people. One thing in terms that really should go to ballot in certain states, I think you should have independent redistricting commissions. That that's something that I think that you can easily sell a message of, of fairness, and that's something that I and I think that actually would be really important. Uh, for Democrats to do in 2018 where they can, not because not all states allow for ballot measures. Looking ahead in future episodes, we will definitely circle back uh, to talk more about some ideas to put on. And we'll continue the search. You can let us know. Uh, you can tweet at AFD Radio. You can tweet at Jonathan Cohn on Twitter. You can tweet at Bill Humphrey MA. Uh, and let us know what you think uh, in response to some of these ideas of sort of themes and overarching, you know, organizing uh, rhetoric, we'll say. Jonathan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on. That's all the time we have this week. Tweet us your comments at AFD Radio or email AFD Radio at gmail.com. 
The show is available for download from arsenalfordemocracy.com on Wednesdays. You can also hear it on the air in Delaware from 91.3 FM WVUD, WVUD HD1, and WVUD HD2 Newark every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern. You can get additional commentary at arsenalfordemocracy.com daily, as well as links to articles discussed today. From my studio in Newton, Massachusetts, I'm Bill Humphrey, and I approve this message. Good night.